Thank you all so much for being here this morning. Um, <clears throat> I um, This morning's message is from John chapter 5, verse 30 through 47, and we're going to approach the passage a little bit differently, to, uh, a little bit in a different way this morning. Um, I want to approach it more like a Bible study than I have as a, like a, a pastor or a sermon, if you will. There will be application, of course. And all of that, but I think that the way that this passage flows, it just fits better as a Bible study more as we uh, walk through it. Um, but we're going to be in John, like I said, chapter 5, verses 30 through 47. And this morning's title for the message is, is uh, The Truth is Out There. Now, if, if you all, some of you all, that will immediately hit uh, from the show The X Files, which I will admit I have never seen. Uh, which is a surprising thing, because I've seen a lot of stuff, but for some reason, the X-Files never, I just never could get into David Duchovny. I don't know, I just couldn't get into him. I don't know what it is. Um, and uh, I mean, after I saw him in Zoolander, I mean, that masterpiece of a movie, I just couldn't, couldn't wrap my mind around him. But, and some of you are like, Donna's like, Zoolander, that's my favorite film. You don't even know what Zoolander is. There we go. All right. So, all right. Um, but the truth is out there, and I love this. I love this passage. I love what it says about Christ, and um, what we want to talk about this morning is truth, and where truth is ultimately derived, and how we can have confidence in our faith. Um, that with all the contradictory voices that are coming from our culture, how can we hear the truth through all the muck, if you will? Um, and that's what I want to talk about this morning. And I, uh, I told Crystal and, my, and, and Allie uh, when I came back from New Orleans, I arrived back from New Orleans on uh, Thursday morning, actually, at about 2.30 in the morning. And uh, because it was a late flight and there was, there was some excitement on the plane, we'll just say that. Now, for those of you who fly at all, I think most of us would hope that there's no excitement on the plane. You want it to just be as smooth a ride and like no, no fuss and if preferable, you fall asleep before you take off and you wake up when you land, right? Landing on the runway, I shall say, right? Okay. And, um, but anyway, th uh, that was not my situation. Uh, I got done with my meeting in New Orleans and then we, I ended up flying from New Orleans to Dallas and that was a pretty easy trip and I was already starting to get kind of loopy. Um, so I'm in Dallas, and I had like a three-and-a-half-hour layover in Dallas. I mean, it was just really long and, and everything, and I'm just not going to do that again. But we were getting ready to take off, and it was already getting late. I mean, it was almost, nine, it was almost 10 o'clock my time, and we got on the plane, and I went ahead and put my headphones on to, uh, to watch sermons of John. Pi That's not true. I was watching Big Bang Theory. And uh, I'm, I'm sitting there watching Big Bang Theory on, on my on my little phone there because I've got T-Mobile and I get free Wi-Fi. And so anyway, here we go. I feel the plane push off and we're taxiing to the runway. And I'm, I mean, I'm engrossed in the life of Sheldon Cooper right there. And then all of a sudden, right in front of me, now mind you, I'm in the back of the plane and, and you know, so I've got like 30 rows in front of me and all of a sudden there's some commotion. I mean, we are getting ready to take off. The engines are revving and there's some commotion right in front of me. I'm like, what, what's going on, you know, my peripheral vision, and then I, I kind of move my noise-canceling headphones to the side, and I hear the, 
flight attendant, a guy who was not taking anything off anyone today. He said, Captain, we have a dispute over a seat. We got to go back to the gate. I'm like, are you kidding me? We are almost there. And so here we go. We turn around and go back to the gate. Well, there's two young ladies next to me sitting. I always get an aisle, folks. And I always have bruises from the cart as it passes by, too. But I'm willing to sustain them. And, and I look over to one of the, the ladies sitting in the middle row, and I'm like, can you explain to me what happened? She said, yeah, that lady over there just punched the guy right next to her. I'm like, I'm going to be on CNN. <laughs> we didn't know what was going on. We didn't know what the thing was, and I just kind of looked over there. This guy's face was blood red, and all I saw was a seat next to him because the woman was either squatted down in her seat or she was so short, you know, you just couldn't see the top of her head. And so we're taxing, and now I'm like, okay, this is going to get exciting, right? And so we're sitting there. I'm like, what happened? Do you know what happened? And they said, well, the woman just all of a sudden got really mad and said, don't you dare touch my mother. <clears throat> and she hauled off and popped that dude. I'm like, this is getting real exciting. This is going to be a reality TV show. And so we get back to the gate. Now, I'm going to make this a much shorter. This was an hour and a half delay, folks at the gate and they start bringing people then they call the they call the head like the supervisor on the plane and they say what happened and what turns out is the woman who apparently had a long layover as well but she took partook in the festivities of the layover if you will she was slightly inebriated um punched a guy next to her who was sound asleep and woke him up with a punch telling her telling him not to touch her mother this guy doesn't even know the woman or her mother who's not on the plane. The flight attendant supervisor comes on. She says, did you see what happened? And the woman says, yes. The lady in front of me says, yes. And she made the mistake of telling her her name. The lady in front of me who had no part in this said, my name's Kendall. We'll get to that. Went to the next. And then she looked at me and she said, do you know what happened? I said, ma'am, I was watching Big Bang Theory. I'm staying out. I just got TSA pre-check. I am not losing my flight status, right? Long story short, get to the end. They end up dragging everybody off the plane who was involved. They interview them, bring them back on, bring this inebriated woman out, and she does the walk of shame right down the aisle, stuttering the whole way down the aisle and everything. So I feel like I need to call Crystal to let her know that I'm going to be a little late. So when everything dies down, I got on the phone. I said, Crystal, she's asleep. She doesn't even know what's going on. I said, I'm going to be a little bit late. There's a woman in the seat in front of me that got a little handsy with the next guy. Of course, that caused a commotion in the plane, too, right there. And then I just happened just to mess with everybody. I said, yes, the lady who got taken off the plane, her name's Kendall. Kendall turns around and says, don't you dare say that. I'm going to get locked off the next flight. Long story short, why does this have anything to do with this? During this commotion, we got to discussing, because we had time, about just, we had, we, now I'm awake, TV's off, and we're talking, and we start talking about just our experience there and everything else, and we start talking about uh, Dallas, and one of the women had gone to uh, see the historical hotel where JFK stayed the night before he got shot. And then she proceeded to tell me all of the conspiracy theories that she believed about the JFK thing, which I thought was fascinating. 
Very fascinating. So I'm reading through there, studying through there, and just listening to her and all this. And, and it got me thinking about this morning's passage about how much untruth there is in our culture and how it spreads like wildfire. Now, just to be clear, I have no idea. Aliens could have shot JFK. I'm joking. Could have, but I have no idea about JFK, okay? I have no idea about that. I have no idea about these conspiracy theories. But what we know is, is that truth is for sale. Truth is for sale in our culture. To the, whoever will listen, whoever will hear, who will ever give a moment's notice, truth is for sale. This morning, and truth, by the way, was for sale with that little kerfuffle that we had because the woman who was doing the accosting, if you will, was trying to convince everybody who was there that she didn't do it. When seven people got to witness the whole thing. But truth is for sale. Truth was for sale when Jesus was on the earth as well. And there were lots of different people purporting truth, trying to convince people of truth. And Jesus was trying to make his way through this. This morning's message in chapter 5, beginning in verse 30, is Jesus talking about being witnessed about. Because there are many individuals that no matter what Jesus does, no matter where Jesus goes, no matter what Jesus says, they are not believing this truth. Now, during the Christmas season, there are a lot of individuals that are trying to... It's, it's a very popular season for historians and secular theologians to get you know, their, their 15 minutes of fame on the History Channel or wherever it might be to talk about you know, where Jesus came from and all this kind of stuff. But the problem is, oftentimes, that's clouded in this kind of in secular theology, if you will, secular historicity, all those sorts of things. And so it's often very difficult to dis discern what is true and what is make-believe. Jesus dealt with the same sorts of things. And so this morning, I want to talk about what is truth, where we can witness the real Christ, and... And this is where it really comes home to roost. If any of us have ever had a shadow of a doubt of our faith or who Christ is, I want to know where you can get your confidence back from. Now you may say, I have never had one doubt about my faith or about Jesus or God or His Word. And I will say, I, I want to pat you on the back, and I want to celebrate you, because I've never met anybody like that. Now, I'm going to tell you a little bit of a, just a personal testimony here in a minute that just happened a couple days ago with me. But let's go ahead and begin as we dive in, beginning in verse 30. Let's jo join me in prayer, and then we're going to walk through this passage and talk about Jesus and the witness of Christ. Father, we thank you for your word today, and we thank you for truth. And Father, I know that all of us experience every day um, the, the, our culture and our society and the world around us that are selling uh, what they claim to be true. They, they are 
they're pandering for a for false hope. They are selling and searching for truth that does not come from your word, that does not come from the, the risen Christ. They are searching for that. They are selling that. And people are buying it. Father, sometimes it is easy for us to get caught up in it. Father, I pray that we would always know where our confidence lies, where when we struggle with doubt, when we struggle with our faith, that we would know where we can run back to, to know that truth, to know what truth is, and to have the confidence and comfort in that. Lord, be with us, and it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Jesus has just been talking about, he has been accused by the Pharisees up all the way in the top of chapter 5 here. It says in verse 18, this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making him equal with God. Now, this, of course, is making the Pharisees very angry. Uh, and again, we talked last week about how it really wasn't because of a theological difference. It was because Jesus was, was stealing the power of the Pharisees. Um, now, let me be clear. The Pharisees were very theological, okay? They, they understood and they knew the text of Scripture, or at least what they had, all right? The, the Old Testament, if you will. Um, but a couple things. Number one, they, many of them, we will find, did not know how to divide it because they did not have the central person at hand. We'll talk about that. Number two, they always had their own desires at heart, their own will in mind as they were reading it. See, when we come to the Scripture, we can, and if we want the truth to to invade our hearts and to invade our minds, we cannot come to the Scripture with our own agenda. If you come to the Scripture with your own agenda, you will, you will appease yourself. Because what you'll do is you'll interpret it in a way that makes you feel warm and fuzzy, or that makes you right, or that makes you profitable. We have to go to God's Word with God's agenda. We have to. The Pharisees were not very good at that. They always had an agenda, and it was almost always to keep them in power. Okay? Now, I don't necessarily mean power with regards to position or authority. I don't necessarily mean that. But their power came from the fact that people, that they convinced people that the law was the preeminent, that that was the highest aim, was the law and following the law. And the Pharisees were people of the law. We're going to see how Jesus handles that this morning. So Jesus begins, he continues, remember this is a very long passage, it's the second, second longest passage, uh, Jesus is uh, a passage spoken by Jesus, uh, other than John 17, I believe, and we get in verse 30, and actually verse 30 really ties to the section before, where he says, I can do nothing on my own, 
As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And so like we, like we approached this last week, Jesus is not coming, even Jesus is not coming to the earth, to us, or to the word with his own agenda. It's not his agenda, it's the Father's agenda. He is doing the Father's will. And you might say, well, is, is Jesus just a puppet of God? Absolutely not, because Jesus is God. He is God. It would not make sense for Jesus to do the will of anybody other than God because that is His will and the Father's will are one will. And so He says, when you hear what I, when I say, and when you see me judge, know that the judgment that I pass is just. It is righteous. It is right because it is according to the Father's will. And if you don't like my judgment, if you don't like my justice, then you don't like the Father's justice. So he's following up, kind of concluding the past section with this statement. And then Jesus is going to break into this idea of witnessing. And this is what we're going to be talking about today. The witness of Jesus. Where this truth... How is it that we can have confidence that this Christ that stands before them is the Christ? How are we supposed to believe this? Why should we believe this? Now, I want to pause for just a moment here, and I want to say this. When we go, and you're going to run into this, if, if you try to share the gospel with anybody that wants to have a discussion, they want to discuss, and folks, that's my favorite thing, okay? I am not a fan personally, this, now this is my personality, okay, of going to an individual and having like an elevator speech to share the gospel, that's, that's not my personality. That's not how I work. I'm an analytical person. I like to have a discussion. I like to build a relationship. We know that for individuals, and this has statistically been demonstrated, that individuals who come to faith in Christ, they, it, it, is, it is rarely for a one-off discussion where they come to Christ. It is usually a built relationship over time. And so you build that relationship, and it may take you months or even years of ministering to an individual, investing in their lives to, for them finally to hear the truth. You've been preaching the truth and teaching the truth the entire time, but it took a long period of time for that to eventually... Now, can God just work at a snap of it? Yes. Yes. God can save at a moment's notice. But statistically, God often works through relationships and building those relationships. I bring that up because whenever I've had those discussions, many times, especially in the circles that I run in, they love to say, I want to see the evidence. I want you to prove it to me that number one, that God exists, and number two, that Jesus is God. Now that will frighten many individuals. How is it that I prove that there is a God? 
How do you do that? And then how do I prove that Jesus is his son other than pointing back to a holy scripture that they don't believe in? in the it's circular reasoning to them, right? How do we do that? I want to tell you something. It is not on you. I want to relieve you of the stress. It's not on you to convince them that there is a God. It's not. It's not on you to convince them that Jesus is his son. It's not on you to do that. And here's why. Because you can't save them in the first place. That is a God or that is a specific role of God to move in their hearts to make them believe the truth, to convince them of the truth. You just can't. Now, you can present arguments, and I am not suggesting that we shouldn't study, like, you know, apologetics and things like that. I love that stuff systematic theology, all that stuff, to better be able to grapple with and understand theology and be able to have these uh, intelligent discussions with individuals, all those sorts of things. Don't shy away from that kind of education and studying. But in the end, if you feel defeated because they just don't get all the evidence, and I put that in quotes, that you have shared about God and Christ and the church, and they just don't get... Folks, that's not on you. We are to present the truth at, as it is dis demonstrated to us in God's Word and then let God work. Let God work. So if you're nervous about sharing God's truth with other individuals because you're afraid that they're either going to turn you away or they're going to, argue, or they're going to have a better argument for God than you, than you do, Drop that stress and just share with them truth. Just share with them truth. If they ask a question, like, how do I believe that God is real? Point to them to Paul's words in the beginning of Romans where Paul makes an argument for the, for the truth that there is a God and He exists and the fact that the world has blinded themselves of God. Point them to the Psalms. Point them to the Psalms that directs us to look into the heavens. Point them to, Gen point them to Genesis, where all three things under heaven and earth have been created by a holy God. Point them to Colossians and Hebrews, where Christ holds all things together. Jesus continues this morning in verses 31 through 36. Because these individuals were having a hard time believing. If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. Now let me pause. Jesus is not calling himself a liar. That's not what he's saying. He's holding with Old Testament teaching. That truth comes from more than one witness. So Jesus is saying, if I come to you and say that I am the Son of God, I don't blame you for not believing me. Because the Old Testament requires more than one witness. And to be quite honest with you, others have come before me claiming to be the Son of God or being the Messiah. I don't blame you. 
If I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me. And now he's speaking about John the Baptist. There is another who bears witness about me. And I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. Now we have two individuals bearing testimony about one truth. You sent to John, and he has borne witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. Now, what is Jesus saying there? This seems like really convoluted. I want to try to simplify this as much as I can. Jesus does not need you or I to agree with him about his divinity at all. His standing as the Son of God does not change with my faith, your faith, or the lack thereof. Jesus has been, is, and always will be the Christ. He has always been the Son of God. He has always been the Redeemer. He has always been a friend to sinners. That is just who Jesus is. And just because some squirrely individual has it in their mind that they are smarter than God does not make it so. Jesus is Jesus whether you believe it or not. And Jesus did not need John the Baptist to go be the, to go be the, the witness to the Christ for Christ to be the Christ. Remember, Jesus was the Son of God from the foundations, of, before the foundations of the earth. The only reason John is there is to share with the rest of us. And so Jesus says to us here, he says, not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I share these things so that you may be saved. I am pointing to this truth. I am pointing you to John's testimony about me so that you might be saved. I'm God either way. I'm the Savior either way. But I am pointing to the testimony of John so that you might see the truth and that you might be saved. Jesus then goes on and describes it. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. So two things here. John represented this lamp or this light, all right, shining in the darkness so that people could see the truth of Jesus. Jesus, this is funny, this, this is kind of, this is odd math. John was a light revealing the light of the world and the light that John had came from Christ. That's pretty cool, all right. I don't know what kind of calculus that is, but you know, that's neat right? But that's who John was. He was a witness to us. So we have Jesus testifying to his own divinity and his own personhood, his own 
place in the Trinity. We have John the Baptist testifying that Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world and whom I am not worthy to tie his sandals, witnessing to Jesus Christ, being the Christ, the Messiah. And then Jesus points to this. He says, but the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. My testimony is greater than, you believe John, but you don't believe me. But my testimony is even greater than John because of who I am. Because he says, for the works that the Father has given to me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. That is why Jesus is doing these works. I can tell you that in the secular world, okay, in secular religion classes, at least 20 years ago, which seems a long time ago, but when I was in college, undergrad, and taking all these religion courses from secular professors, it was beat into our heads that the reason that Jesus, or at least the Bible talks about the healings and the miracles and things like that, had nothing to do with Jesus as a Savior of our souls or a redeemer of sinners, but it had to do with trying to equalize humanity to bring those who were lesser up on par with those, and so there would be equality there, and so that people would be healed physically and emotionally, right, so that they, so that there wouldn't be these multiple classes, that Jesus came really not to save the world from sin, but to save the world from this pecking order. That's why Jesus really came. I remember the day that they shared that in class. I was sitting there listening to it, and he says, the reason why, the, why, why Jesus demonstrates, or the writers demonstrate Jesus doing these healings is not so that he can reveal that he's the Son of God. That's not really the main point of this. The main point of this is so that Jesus can equalize everything. Fortunately, at 22 years old, I was happy to say that I believe that was malarkey, even from there. Malarkey's not a bad word, is it? Okay, anyway. All right, we'll just pretend it's not. But here's the thing, okay? I mean, it just absolutely goes against the faith. You have to ignore 75% of the gospel to come to that conclusion. Because what Jesus says is that these miracles and these wonders and these signs that I'm performing, they are ultimately not... To heal an official son. They are not to cause a blind man to see. They are not to call a a disabled person to walk. That's not why Jesus is doing that. That is a consequence of Jesus' main goal. The main goal is to reveal who he is. That he is the savior of the world. Because if I cause a blind man to see and then he does not believe in me, all he is is a seeing man all the way to hell. If I cause a crippled man to walk and he does not believe in me, he's going to walk straight into hell. That's all those signs and wonders do. But that's not what Jesus is doing. He is revealing who he is to the world through these signs and wonders. So Jesus testifies about himself. John testifies about him. And then we move to verse 37. It says, And the Father who sent me has himself 
borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. Now watch that. You've never heard his voice. Now you might say, doesn't God speak in the Bible? Not in the New Testament. Why is that? Because it's Jesus who's speaking. And the Father who sent me has himself borne witness about me. His voice you have never heard. His form you've never seen. Why is that? Because God is spirit. And you do not have his word abide. And here is the accusation, folks. You do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. I love this passage. I love what it says. Here's what I'm going to try to paraphrase. I'm going to bring it down to us here. He's saying this. I testify about myself. John testifies about me. My miracles testify about me. And the Father has testified. How? You have not heard him audibly. You have not seen him with your eyes. But... The reason you do not hear the witness of the Father is because the very scriptures, God's very words that he has given to you, you do not believe. And you think you have eternal life, but you don't. You think you have eternal life because you are staying so close to this Mosaic law and these, these laws and these legal mandates that many of you have created and that you think that those things are going to save you. The problem is the word you say you believe in is all about me. And you don't believe it. And you do not have his word abiding in you. For you do not believe the one he... If he there's what he's saying. If you had... Though God's word, his truth, abiding in your heart, then you would believe in me. We often call the Bible the word of God. We could just as easily call it the word of Christ. Just as easily. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me. You're reading this witness of me the entire time, and you are missing it. Why is that? It's because of what I said before. They are approaching the Word with their own agenda. They don't want Jesus to be the Messiah, because Jesus is not the Messiah that they have designed. Because Jesus has not promised to conquer the Romans and put them in power. Jesus did not promise that he was going to make them an elite kingdom again on the present earth in their present time. Jesus comes as a carpenter's son, healing the crippled individuals, healing the blind, raising people to dead, not reinforcing the power structure that already exists. That maintains their authority. That's not the Jesus that they want. They want a Jesus that looks just like 
them. And oftentimes that's the Jesus that we want to. And that's a problem. That's a problem. Instead of us conforming to the image of Christ, we want Christ to conform to the image of us. And that happens every time we approach the scriptures or approach a truth and it disagrees with our sensibilities. If you read a passage of scripture and you read it and you think about it and you're reading it within the context of scripture and you're like, I don't like that. It is because it is, it is messing with your flesh. It is messing with your agenda. That's what it's doing. And we could go all the way through Scripture and see this. We see this about male and female relationships. Male and females in, gen- in general now, right? We see it in power structures. We see all these things that we have this this vision of what we think it would be like, and then the Bible comes and flips that on its head, and we're like, we don't like that. It's not the job of God to conform to our agenda. We've got to reverse that. So we have a witness from John and the miracles from Jesus himself. We have a witness from the Father in Scripture, and now there's going to be this sort of detour here, beginning in verse 41. He says, I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I want to I stop for a minute. This, this sounds a little bit odd because I thought we were supposed to be bringing glory and worthiness to the Lord, right? Okay, let me, let me, let me this is real simple, okay? If you think... And um, this is not a criticism, okay? This is just sort of a, correct, a course correction, okay? Because oftentimes we'll say, well, we want to bring glory to God. We want to we you know, make God glorious and stuff. Let's just, let's just correct that language, okay? I've said that kind of stuff too before, okay? Let's just correct this. Crystal can sing the most beautiful song. Brittany can sing the most beautiful song. Drake could play the most beautiful song to the Lord, and cause us to just melt, all right? Not not because of emotions and stuff, but truly melt, okay? And I just want you to know, not one bit of glory was added to God. Not one bit of glory was added to Jesus from that. Jesus has the same glory, God has the same glory that he's always had. If God's glory his, the, the fullness of God's glory depended on our ability to express our desires and our affections to Him, then God is not God. Because that means that His glory is dependent on us. God's glory is not dependent on us. What we are doing, and so that's what Jesus is saying here. I do not receive glory from people. I have as much glory as I've always had. Because I'm God. When we worship, and when we are singing beautiful songs, playing beautiful songs, preaching mediocre sermons, when we're doing those sorts of things, here's what's happening. We're revealing the glory that is already existent in God. 
we're revealing it to blinded eyes. That's what we're doing. That's all we're commissioned to do. If we never existed, God would still be as glorious as he was on day one. And when, we, when, the, when all things are consummated, and we have the new heavens and the new earth, God will have the same glory. We will just be able to see it clearly. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. He says, I know that you do not have the love of God in you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you will receive him. Catch that. There's a little change in language there. He says, I know you do not have the love of God in you because you do not receive me. If you received me, I know that you have the love of God in you because the only way you can receive me is by having God's love in you. You see where that, we do not generate God's love. God's love generates the love that we have for him. All right. We can't, we can't create that on our own. But then he says this, I have come in my father's name. That's why Christ has come. He's come in the father's name and we do not receive him. If another comes, another person comes in his own name, you'll receive him. Isn't that weird? So here Christ comes in the name of the Father, doing the Father's will, and the people don't receive him. (coughs) And here comes Johnny coming in his own name with his own agenda, his own desires, his own will, and people receive him. Why is that? (coughs) Very simply, it's because Johnny's agenda and Johnny's will is more like ours than God's will is. (coughs) And that fits with our sensibilities. That's why we like hanging with the crowd. Okay? We hang with crowds that are like our own. That's that that is a a normal thing. I feel so much comfortable with you all than the society of skeptics. I don't even know what that is, but you get the idea. All right? I feel more comfortable because we are like-minded. Well, this crowd of individuals didn't have the mind of Christ. They had the mind of Johnny because their agendas are similar. Verse 44. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? And I think that we ought to ask ourselves that question. How is it that you can just revel when we're giving glory, like giving compliments, patting one another on the back and all these sorts of things. You're a wonderful person. You're a wonderful, like Stuart Smalley. I don't know if anybody remembers that old SNL thing, Stuart Smalley. He wore a sweater and he says, I am good enough. I am smart enough. And gosh darn it, people like me, right? We like Stuart Smalley, right? Makes us feel really good. But Jesus comes in and says, listen, I'm going to turn your world upside down because the goodness you thought that you had is wretched, in comparison to me, I'm flipping this gen- agenda on its head. I'm bringing you truth. What you had was a falsehood. That was, it was What you had was lipstick on a pig. That's what you had. Let's come to the conclusion of this message. Because he's really going to bring it home here. 
and he's going to stick it to him where it hurts. Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. Now they're probably thinking, why? Why does Moses accuse us? We revere Moses. Moses is on a pedestal. If there is anyone that's going to compete with King David for that highest pedestal, it's Moses. Because Moses had the law, and we are people of the law. How is Moses going to accuse us? We are followers of the law. We are refiners of the law. But Jesus says, I don't have to accuse you to the Father because Moses has already done it. How is that? Verse 46, for if you believed in Moses, now catch this, if you believed in Moses, he's calling their faith in Moses, Moses in question. If you believed in Moses, you would believe in me. For he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? What Jesus is saying is this. Every one of those promises in those first five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, did I get them in order? Good, good. My Sunday school teachers would be proud. All the promises that are included in those first five books, Moses wrote those. Every promise that is included in those first five books, what does Paul tell us? They find their yes and amen in Christ. They are about Jesus. They are pointing to Jesus. And so Jesus tells them, if you really believed Moses, if you really believed his truth, if you really understood what Moses was saying, then you would believe in me. But because you don't believe in me, then you obviously don't believe Moses. I mean, it's, it's simple logic that Jesus is demonstrating. So in the end, in conclusion here, Jesus is telling them, you think you have your faith mapped out. You think you are on the road to eternity with your faith. But you are off on this dirt road over here going through every pothole, every hillside, through all this muck and mire, all crooked, because that's where your agenda lies. That's where your truth lies and stay in, instead of staying on the straight and narrow way, which is Christ. Now, I told you that I was going to wrap this up with a testimony of myself, and I'm going to try to keep this real brief because I smell chicken. That's worse than a fidget spinner, folks. Okay. Uh, Friday morning, um, I think. No, it was Saturday morning. Saturday morning. Um, I, I'm, in a, I'm in a very serious, um, making a very serious effort to get back into health, get back into shape. And um, so I got up at like 7.30 that morning, and I, I drove up to my parents' house, parked the car, and I was going to go for a walk, and I've got it, Crystal and I have it mapped out that, you know, from the um, beginning of my parents' house to the end of the road and back is about, it's about two and a half miles. And so we do that on a regular basis. 
And so I got, I was like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to start getting back in shape. So I went over there and um, as I went into their house to drop my keys off and stuff before I went on my jaunt, Jackson was over there because he spent the night. And Jackson uh, said he wanted to go. Now, I love it when Jackson walks with me um, for two reasons. Uh, one, um, he slows me down a little bit, and, and I like that, okay? It's like, a, I was like, well, I, I, I would like to walk faster for my health, but I got this 11-year-old here. I just got to walk a little slower, right? So it's an excuse to walk at a slower pace. The other, though, is that I don't think that I've ever had better conversations with Jackson than when he and I are walking, because he will talk your ear off for two and a half miles. That's not a criticism, Jackson. I want you to keep on talking. Now, 80% of the time, it's about basketball. And I'm just, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. But then, eventually, I'll say, okay, we're not going to talk any more about basketball. You can talk about something else. It almost always comes to talking about something spiritual. And he brings it up. He'll bring something up, and we'll start talking about that. The other morning, now he doesn't know this. This is the first time he's heard of this. He started asking me about the new earth and what that was going to be like and if we were going to look the same and if we were going, or if we were going to be different. And he said, am I going to know you? Are you still going to be my dad? That's a hard one to talk about. And I said, you will still know me as your father, but it will be different. It'll be different. We'll be more like brothers than we will be like father and son. And Jackson said, no. <laughs> Which that caused me to tear up a little bit because I'm like, he likes me as his dad, you know. And, and so we started talking about that. And folks, I can't help myself. I start analyzing things in my head. And I start trying to figure those things out. Well, how's that going to work? Because he said, are we all going to just stay as kids? And now he starts peppering things off. I'm like, man, we did not talk about that in seminary. Okay? <laughs> we just, you know, and the, and the Bible doesn't address that, you know, those types of things, you know, those really nitty-gritty details. Well, being who I am and the way God made me and my personality, I'm somebody that tried. The wheels start turning, and I start thinking, and I start... And then when that happens and I start trying to figure things out of my own will and my own power, I start to doubt. And I start to question things. And I start to wonder, is, is that true? And when you start leaning on those things or, or thinking about those things, it starts bringing you down different. Like, well, if that's not true, is, is that true? Now, folks, I'm, there's a lot of preachers, a lot of pastors that would not share this with you all because they don't want to show any weakness in their faith. And their own, you know, but the reality is it happens to all of us this, when we start to think about these things. But the difference is this. Now, we were, I couldn't just run home and, and turn on my computer and, and pull up a sermon by John Piper to, you know, to like strengthen my faith again, right? That was I was a mile, and I wouldn't run in a mile, okay? I wanted to. Now, Jackson didn't know this, but I wanted to because I, I needed something. Just like, no, this is not right. Get out of my head. Bring me back to the truth. And then I started thinking about Scripture. 
and the promises of God. And, and what God says about himself in Scripture. And that I don't need to know how it's all going to work. My feeble mind cannot even begin to grasp how God's got this planned out. But I know beyond of a shadow of a doubt that these promises are true. And this, this swell of gratitude just welled up inside me. And it's been sitting there for the last few days. Well, since yesterday morning. But you get the idea. It's felt like a few days, folks. Just this gratitude for God's truth and His promises that bring me back and put me on the firm foundation. That firm foundation that Christ is King. And that I don't have all the answers. And that there is always going to be someone smarter than me that has a better argument than me, a better wit than me, and that I'm not going to be able to answer their questions when they try to dig at the foundation that is my faith. But I can always go back to this, is that I don't have an answer to that because I'm not God. But God is God, and Christ is His Son. And because of the Spirit of God that is in me, I have the confidence that Christ reigns before, now, and forevermore. And when Christ opens your eyes to that truth, this swelling of gratitude inside you will hit you like a ton of bricks as well. So if you have those moments where truth seems to be fickle and runs away from you, and you see these attacks coming from the outside, and it causes you to question your faith, do not lean on your own understanding. Lean on the promises of God that are found in His Word. Because Jesus Himself says, you do not have the love of God inside you, because if you did, you would believe me. And so when I believe God's word, when I trust this and it brings me comfort and it brings me peace and it brings me gratitude and it leads me to worship, it gives me the confidence to know that I am filled with the Holy Spirit and I am on track to see the face of Jesus one day. And then all that, and this is what's crazy. There is going to be a day where all those doubts that we once had, they're gone they're gone. They are gone. And we will be free to worship without the distra distraction of the untruths of this world. So just, I, I, this morning, more than anything, I just want to give you a sense in, of confidence in Christ, in His Word, who He is, and that your failures, my failures, do not diminish Jesus at all. He's going to be amazing. He's never been more amazing from the, from the moment that before the foundations of the earth to the moment of consummation. He's 
always been glorious. He's always been amazing. And it's our goal just to lift him up so that others see him. Jesus paid it all. Let's pray.